Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PB and Style podcast. You are in the place to be to find clarity, consistency, and authenticity in the way you develop your brand. On today's show, I have a new friend I'm very excited about. I shouldn't say new. We've been friends for at least a year, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that because her sister locks are almost a year old, <laughs> and that's kind of when I met her. Um, but her name is Miss Takia Noble, and she is the founder the brainchild behind the online and are you published yet? Are you, are you publishing like weird hard copy? Digital? Oh no, not hard copy. Okay. So it is a digital magazine. I will let her give you her three, two, one formula. Cause we worked that out. <laughs> so I'm really excited about it. But anyway, Takia Noble is the founder and brainchild of Weconomist magazine. And I have to say, honestly, in talking with her, I wrote a few things down because I wanted to make sure I said them. Initial conversations with her are just, they had me spellbound, honestly, because of the way she spoke of her subject matter. And we're gonna get to that in a minute. Um, And the way she spoke of it was not only intelligent, obviously, and clear, but also the depth of passion she has for it is almost infectious. This child had me almost moving to Europe child for a month. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I knew I wasn't going nowhere and I was listening to her like it was really possible just listening to her and so I'm sure that is I'm sure that it's gonna have the absolute same effect on you um, the other thing I really want you to know about her and I really want you to listen to in this podcast is we talk about personal branding being a way that a person um, or an individual really taps into their value proposition and then they use that value and leverage it across platforms in a unique way and they do that with clarity and consistency and authenticity so that's sort of the definition that we go by here on pb and style and what is so amazing about takia is that not only is she doing that and leveraging her value but she has niched it down i mean unapologetically so niched down um who it is she wants to talk to and she's got a very good and clear um credible reason why and I'm so excited for her to share that with you so stay tuned to hear what Mr. Kia has to say and how you can get your hands on a copy of Weconomist magazine welcome to PB and style the perfect podcast sandwich where host Andrea Patrick empowers educates and encourages you to find your inner influencer and personify their brand she'll have you tapping into your authentic authority and engaging in a real way Remember, leadership is a journey, not a destination. Enjoy today's dish. All right, guys. All right. Thank you, Ms. Takiya, for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I am so excited to talk to you about this, for real. Because we have these conversations a lot. And I've been like, girl, come on. We ain't got to do it like that. <laughs> but she always comes back with the fantastic Correct. like response that kind of... You know that song that says, things that make you go, hmm, that's Mr. Kia, when we're having these conversations. <laughs> so, Takia, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you became the founder of Weconomist Magazine. Well, I call myself the founder of Weconomist. She did say that. I did I that myself. Yeah. She is. She's the founder. But I'm gonna I let call, her give you this little caveat real quick. Go I call ahead. I call myself the forerunner of the Weconomist magazine, and that is because I feel like it is something that we all have to participate in. If this is uh, when we talk about economic empowerment in the Black community, particularly the African American community, and it is one of those projects that I hope and I feel will outlast my physical presence on earth. It is one of those things that I feel like will absolutely persist beyond it my life. you. Yeah, my life. And so I would like to pass on the baton. So, okay. so I'm the first get, leg. Before we get too, too far into that, though, tell us about Weconomist Magazine. Yeah. Because you just sort of mentioned what it was about. But I want to give everybody yeah, some, absolutely. some context. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> absolutely. So, Weconomist is a... Di- It is a digital peer-to-peer and educational platform and magazine that specifically focuses on international structuring and international diversification to increase the privacy, the wealth, and the freedom for minorities who are interested in banking and doing business overseas. We worked really hard on that. We did. (laughs) (laughs) Andrea was like, stop stuttering. Stop it. I was like, oh. 
absolutely loved her 30 seconds. That was her formula. It's awesome. It works, guys. We have figured that out. And I love that you've niched it down to the point. I think it's so important for us not to miss that point. Um, I said in a podcast a while ago, um, actually, I think it was when I recorded. I don't even know if it's out yet. Um, But I said in a podcast how it's important for us to be so like you are unapologetic for our niching down and and to not be of the mind that we need to promote to everybody Mm -hmm. and to get every person we can to buy from us because everything we have is not for everybody right and the mentality that the more we share it with the more we'll get back is just not the right formula it's really you want to get quality people, mm-hmm. which is a smaller group of people, to hear what you have to say um, and be really into it and really want it and feed off of it. Right. Because then you know you've got somebody. When you've got, you know, a gazillion people that you share it with and mm-hmm. you're only getting one or two percent of people, a half a percent of people right. <laughs> saying good things or making comments or actually using what it is you're giving, then you've really wasted a lot of time. So, right. So I have to applaud you on this whole like this where you are with the business. Being an African American woman myself, I find complete and utter value in everything that you're saying. Um, and some of it is hard. Some of it mm-hmm. is. Some of it you just be looking at Takia a little cross eyed. <laughs> Probably because I say a lot of the things that my target audience thinks, right? And I'm very unapologetic about the things that I say. Not that it's necessarily um, inflammatory, but it's just rooted in history. And I think that once we have a conversation that as African Americans, our history is pretty ugly. Right. And when we talk about our economic history, then why do we kind of have to why do we have to package it and why do we kind of have to reserve ourselves? Because the reality of yeah, it why is why does it have to be pretty for people looking right. at it if this, the package isn't for right. them? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I and don't care if you like purple paper. <laughs> right. The package is not for you. Right, exactly. And you know, it was really funny because as you have been um sharing with me and giving me insights on personal branding, it was really interesting because I read this article about um, your your minimum viable audience. And that was a completely new concept to me. Now, I was always familiar with minimum viable product, but not a minimum viable audience. And the article that I was reading was saying, typically you, are your minimum viable audience. So the things that you feel or the things that you, you know, how you show up in the world or how or your frustrations, that is your, you more times than not are your minimum, excuse me, your minimum viable audience. And by default, you end up attracting people who have a similar mindset. Now that's not to say that you are always 100% right, but more times than not, your belief system is actually what aligns with someone who has a similar belief system, yes. right? So by extension, Can we ring the bell? <laughs> so by extension, you are your audience. Ding 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 right? ding ding. <laughs> so I said, and it was really funny because when I was reading, I said, "That's what Andrea <laughs> meant about being authentic and just yes. authentically expressing yourself." Yes. Because your audience typically is an extension of you, just yes. by default of belief. So uh, yes. Ding. There we go. <laughs> Drop in the mic, people. That's it. Interview over. We're done. It's over. Yeah, I love the idea. I love that um, we are getting to the root of some of the challenges through economists that um, the African American community has um, in the area of finance. Mm-hmm. And um, your um, Kevin, significant mm-hmm. other, Mr. Mm-hmm. Kevin. Mm-hmm. You said something to me a while ago that he said during one of your uh, Facebook lives, mm-hmm. and uh, you were talking, I think, about going to college overseas mm-hmm. and like you know, and it, she, oh my God, guys, her articles, I haven't even read one by myself because she <laughs> reads them to me, and they are so meaty and just robust that they're the types of articles where. Have you ever read something and it's like you can't even finish the whole thing because you're like you gotta marinate on the first paragraph of it? And that's kinda how her her articles are. But we were having this conversation about something that you were saying on the on the Facebook Live. 
and talking about going to college and like sending your kids overseas for colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kevin made the comment, why is it in the African community, African American community, we are okay with sending our children to war in other countries um, through the military. Mm-hmm. But the idea of sending them away for four years to a university Mm -hmm. where they are getting a higher education and bettering themselves Mm -hmm. for less money Mm -hmm. is such a struggle for us. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was one of the most profound things I have heard because it's true, especially as it relates to the African-American dollar, because Mm -hmm. we will. Mm -hmm. We find prestige. It's like the church. We find prestige in the military man. Mm -hmm. I have an uncle who's a master chief. Mm-hmm. Honey, if he throws around master chief one more time. <laughs> thank you for letting us know you are a master chief. We are so proud. Right, right. And we are proud. Right. And he should be proud. Mm-hmm. But we will carry that badge of honor on our sleeve. Like it is something to behold, which mm-hmm. it is. Because mm-hmm. serving your country is great. Mm-hmm. But we will not hold that same prestige to going to France or Europe or mm-hmm. some other country to get a college degree that saves us tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. is just as valuable. And not only that, but it gives culture to the child that went because they went somewhere other right. than the United States, which makes them even more marketable right. when they get out. Right. So guys, what she's saying in this magazine is crazy good. So you should listen to it. I know we're talking a lot. I ain't ask you a narrow question. <laughs> well, no, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> we're just the talking. Okay. So, yeah, she told us about Weconomist Magazine. And so um, this interview, I really wanted to get to some meat. And I know, because I said this at the beginning of the show, that some of your points and thoughts are niched down unapologetically so and they could possibly be polarizing and I welcome it I'm so excited about it Mm -hmm. guys before when we were um discussing it and I sent her the questions we were talking on the phone and she says well I just want you to know (laughs) this is how I plan to answer this question and I said girl I already knew what you were gonna do I was already ready And so that's kind of why I really wanted to preface the entire conversation with the idea of being so unapologetic for your niching down Mm -hmm. of a brand. Because whether you agree with what we're about to discuss or not, you have got to applaud this girl for making her points plain, clear, to the point, and authentic to who she is and the message that she is bringing to the table. And if you can see that through whatever fog of disbelief or anger that you may be listening to this through which I mean we're not going to even put that on I'm not going to speak those words on it but just you know people just are people so mm-hmm. they're going to do their yeah, do. Absolutely. but if you can see through that as someone who owns a business um, and is trying to grow a business applaud her for the fact that she is unapologetic for her certainty of the topic that she has chosen to share with people and to use as her brand. So we're going to move on with some of these questions. All right. Sounds good. All right. The first question I want to ask you, I was looking at the website for weconomist.com mm-hmm. and you said that um, what I loved about it was the way you started off with a qualifier for the magazine content. And you said, um, she says the point, the way she determines whether or not the content is for the magazine is whether or not it's economically relevant, if it will educate, enlighten, or empower the community first, if it is um, not only, uh, it's just how will this educate, enlighten, or empower the individual next? So how does it do it for the community? Then how does it do it for the individual? How can this education, enlightenment, or empowerment be practically applied within the community and then how can it be practically applied for the individual and then she says um, if suggestions for article cannot pass these five questions then they typically are not published in the magazine so not only did she niche it down to who she wants to talk to but then she niched it down to what she wants to talk about and she gave that a litmus test lesson number two did y'all get it she niched it down, unapologetically so. And then she gave the content a litmus test to follow mm-hmm. before she even put it in the magazine. So you know you're getting quality content. So where did this idea come from, Takia? And 
was there any trepidation I'm asking with drawing such a distinct line mm-hmm. for your your <clears throat> brand? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of where the creation of the litmus test came from or the qualifier test came from, a lot of that had to do with just understanding the options that my current audience has, right? And um, you know, the funny thing about race relations in America, at least, you know, I do have, um, I'm very excited to say that I have multiple team members that span across multiple countries, right? So I'm like a little micro multinational uh, company, and that's really cool. But they don't really have the same hangups on race that America does, you know? And I tell people this all the time, poor race relations is as unique to America as apple pie. Wow. I really do. Wow. Okay. And a lot of people don't like hearing it, but it's it's really the truth. And, you know, even in one of the um, introductory articles, we even talk about how um, the transatlantic slave trade was completely different than any form of slavery that you've ever seen in history because there was no form of slavery that was based on race except the transatlantic slave trade, right? So our roots are based in racism. When you take a look at uh, slavery in a historical context, they were typically based on religious law or you know, when you take a look at colorism, a lot of it had to do with the fact that um, people with less pigmentation were assigned for more administrative tasks versus people with more pigmentation were uh, assigned to more menial tasks. And just by default of the presence and the repetition, you had colorism, but colorism is still very different from racism, Racism. right? And one of the things that I do and I talk about in the magazine is be very specific, right? Like even I was having a conversation with my daughter and she says, I go to work. You know, I go to work to make money. I said, no, you exchange labor in exchange. Uh, you what you are engaging in is called earned income. You exchange labor for currency. You know, so it's the fact that we changing need- a mindset because we are we are what is that we are um, what's the word um, conditioned yes to believe yes. So, but for me, it's about specificity. Right. Mm -hmm. I need you to very specifically tell me what you're talking about. And when I look to the magazine or when I talk about the magazine, when you read a lot of black publications, and I say black meaning that not necessarily that the authors are black, but the intended audience is black readership. A lot of it is very inflammatory and a lot of it is like, screw these systems. F these people, be mad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're like, thank you. So you left me with absolutely nothing practical right. to do, right? right? So you presented this entire argument or this entire uh, disposition that you have in this very angry tone. And one of the things when I talked to the team members, as I said, we will not be that angry black magazine, okay? And that really came from the... Um, career experience that I had or the professional experience that I had where I was working for a financial services firm in one of the more affluent areas in Texas, in uh, North Texas. And one of the things that my boss or my superior said at the time was, you don't have to have a conversation about race. You just have to have a conversation about money and I guarantee you conversations about race will happen. Wow. They have to. They have to. So when we talk about the magazine, I always talk to you about the history of finance because it's not that I need to have a conversation with you about race. America has always made race a proxy for finance. So naturally, if I'm having a conversation with you about finance, an educational one at that, naturally, we get to go ahead and talk about race without ever having to talk about race. Mm. Although I'm specifically talking to you about race. race. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it is, um, so my point is that if I can have a conversation with you that educates you Mm -hmm. about how your race has been a proxy to cripple you in a financial way, then the onus is also upon us to explore options for you to be able to counteract that. 
you've been given a set of choices, right? And another mentor always told me, a man is only as honest as his options. Wow. If I don't know that I have seven or 10 other options and you only present me with two or three, mm-hmm. right? Then I'll make this choice only assuming that I have these two or three. Now, if I present you with 13 and you say, 10 of those look too scary, I'm doing this. Right. Well, now, That's you're, your deal. Yes, you're responsible for that. So, it was really important for us to create that litmus in the magazine um, to let African Americans know of a lot of the options that no one even told them was available to them. And from that perspective, you get to make some choices about how you are going to economically empower yourself. I love every minute of what you just said. And as you were talking, what I was thinking was, I was listening, (laughs) but what I was thinking was on the end of that, is you think about all of our financial advisors, Mm -hmm. African-American financial advisors, and they have access to some of the things that you're talking about, but I think just in like from a distance, looking from a distance, I'm not gonna. I'm not speaking of anyone specific. So if you're one of my friends as a financial advisor, I'm not talking specifically about you. I'm just saying in general. These tools are out there, and sometimes I believe even they won't allow themselves to think outside the box mm-hmm. because they have been put in the box, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and a fear or a a lack of knowledge or not having the wherewithal to go the extra mile to find the answer that solves the problem that mm-hmm. they don't even know they have type of thing. Um, and what you've done with Weconomist is is you've really honestly, and I have to admit, I have not read every article, but just the ones that she reads to me, she turns a concept on its head. Mm-hmm. Every single time you've read an article to me, that's what happens. And my husband, who I deem one of the most intelligent people on the planet, engages with you in a way that I just find fascinating. You had a conversation with him today, and I just listened to him like, gosh, I just so sexy when you use those big words. <laughs> but it's, it's so, it's wonderful to hear because you're right. Once you know, it's just like with the word, with the Bible. Once you've heard it, and you know it, you're responsible for it. Mm-hmm. And you are providing the knowledge and I would behoove those listening to go grab it, grab a copy, subscribe, because we really need to get these, get this information. We, I think you said something today um, about, you know, we need to get to a point where we're not, we're not beholden to someone um, validating us mm-hmm. or providing us with mm-hmm. the right information. We are smart enough mm-hmm. and we are creative enough to find these answers um, and and we don't need like how many communities cultures keep their dollar within their community like I can't even remember the number it was like mm-hmm. 10 times 30 times right. in certain communities right. where the dollar stays in that community mm-hmm. the whole time imagine if we as a black community could get to the point where we're using some of the tips and tools that you're giving us through economists and keeping our dollar within the community and even if we need that community to be in Ethiopia right. or in Europe, right. it's still within our community. community. Um, and I think that would be an amazing thing. And I think what you say, there's two points that I want to make because what you say is very powerful. Well, when you take a look at the movement of the slave trade, right, the diaspora, mm-hmm. it spans across every continent. Right, so that's that's the beauty of what you said. Our community absolutely is in France, just as it is in Africa, just as it is, I mean, in Asia, I, because it's span. I mean, we were literally sent everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> right? So the community isn't just nested in one country. The community is the diaspora across the world, and that's one of the things that I am trying to um, articulate and emphasize to African Americans, particularly. What does it look like for you to be a global citizen? What does it look like for you to really be a global citizen where you are doing what a lot of other cultures are doing? And this is where we get into the form of international diversification. And you find out that 
where they live is not the same country as to where they bank and where they bank is not the same country as to where they have their uh, business structured and where or their, their house or their house or where their business is structured is not the same um, country where the deposit of their gold is right and this diversification because diversification by default minimizes risk. It minimizes risk, not only from a financial standpoint, but from a government standpoint. And that is the number one reason why people diversify geographically. Because if at any point in time, your government starts tripping with you, guess what? You don't have all of your eggs in one basket, right? So you are not beholden to one government. And if any group of people should understand abuse, by their government. It should be blacks, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is I wanted to make a point about financial advisors. So I do believe that there are some very brilliant financial advisors. However, financial advisors unfortunately are or excuse me, are limited to a governmental box. Mm -hmm. And so by that I mean that now I've met some some financial advisors that quite honestly I was surprised they could even spell the word advisor. Oh, right. Wow. I'm serious. Um, and it's it's a very scary proposition because you a lot of financial advisors are nothing more than salespeople. Mm -hmm. And I tell blacks that all of the time, right? Ask your financial advisor to give you a piece of advice where they do not directly make a commission. Mm. That's how you know you've got someone good mm. on your team, right? Because the products that they recommend to you are commission-based are commission-based, or they get their pay off of assets under management, right? And so when you you know that you are dealing with someone who truly cares about your best interest when the when the their best interest isn't the first isn't thing the first on thing the... on the table. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I was gonna say is the problem with American financial advisors is that they can only offer what has been approved by SEC regulations. And a lot of Americans do not understand that your American passport is the number one reason why you cannot invest in 70% of the world's investment opportunities. 70% of the world's investment opportunities don't meet SEC regulations. So by default, it is not available to you wow. as an American citizen. So when you talk about, when we talk about building wealth and legacies and this, that, and the other, if you can only participate in 30% of the opportunities available to you, tell me how much traction you're really going to get by, um, excuse me, in building wealth, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I talk about when I say African-Americans need to learn what it looks like to be global citizens. and. And this is just across the board. This isn't just with blacks and this isn't just with Americans, but it's just with any citizen period. The number one determinant of your, excuse me, of your ability to seize investment opportunities is your passport, right? And a lot of people don't even know that passports are ranked, right? In terms of the strength of it being a travel document. Because think about this, if I have to go do business, let's say in Cameroon, or I have to go do business in Singapore, but my passport is from a country that does not allow visa-free access to that country, I have a million different hurdles, right? Mm. That I have to go through just to be able to get into the country just to go do business, mm. right? So every single citizen, if for no other reason than investment opportunity, should have multiple passports because as we and we'll talk about this a little bit later but as you begin to understand like policy like Obama's FATCA laws and how aggressive his laws were to financial institutions reporting the financial activities of American citizens a lot of financial institutions were like I don't want to deal with that compliance issue so they shut off access to American citizens to participate in their banking system. Mm. So the way that you circumvent that now legally is by functioning through an international business structure or having a passport that is not American. So you could say, oh, you know what? Yes, I can participate in your banking system because I'm going to present you with my Panamanian passport 
not my U.S. passport. Okay, well, since you are presenting yourself to me as a Panamanian citizen, now I can do business with you because as an American citizen, I'm restricted by law from doing these investment opportunities you with know, you. My husband and I had this conversation because we talked about this. You talked about this last week, I think we were having this conversation. And I, after you left, I was having, I was like, you know, you know, you know, I love me some Obama. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was like, I don't like what you said about my bud. But what I recognized is this. We in this country, which I think is another issue, a financial issue, mm-hmm. that is a, is, a, is a hindrance to the black community, any minority community. Mm-hmm. A, like you said, we don't get all the information. Mm-hmm. So we're operating with a limited supply of choices. Mm-hmm. But B, we are... We what has happened is we are having to deal with these bad apples that have spoiled the whole bunch. Mm-hmm. So you got people who no longer really care. This is my opinion, but people who no longer really care about everybody and all they care about is lying in their own pockets. And so And that's why that litmus exists. Right. And because of that, what's happened is some of the laws that have been in place are for the bad apples, but they, they just jack up all the good apples Absolutely. from doing things. And so I just, I, I, I want us to, you know what? And now that I'm saying that, I'm, listening, I'm sitting here talking to the economist queen and I'm thinking to myself, this probably isn't even a good thought. Because if we think as a global citizen, like you're mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. then all of that kind of washes away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because now we don't have to, if we actually start learning the information mm-hmm. as a culture, That's right. and we actually start operating, like you say, as a global citizen, mm-hmm. we are no longer limited by the boundaries That's right. of the United States. That's right. And when we're no longer limited by that, and we are educating ourselves on how to be global, mm-hmm. now we have opened ourselves up. Yes. We've not waited for someone to open us up. We've yes. not been given permission. Um, we are now able to make some of those better choices for our family, i.e. I always go back to going to college out of the country because I just thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Hannah, you might be going to college in Europe, sweetie, if I can. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you know, right. it's like it, you opened my eyes to that fact. And she, she, I don't know if the article has come out yet when you talked about comparing the different colleges. Mm-hmm. There's guys, a global ranking system. A global ranking system, and it was amazing. But I just love the idea of, even if it's something that I'm not quite fully understanding at the moment, it's still something that I'm like, oh, I need to go get on this train because it does open you up to possibilities. But, you know, and, and I, I feel like we kind of have to have that that conversation about Obama very briefly. I love him. Sorry. No. <laughs> when, we, when we have that conversation <laughs> about uh, Obama very briefly, and I think in our community, a lot of times it's very hard for us to separate the man from the policy, right? Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean that... When you listen, well, at least when I listened to a lot of members of our community talk about Obama, it was really about the vicarious victory of seeing a black man in office. Yes, the charismatic ways. Right. And and, And, hey, that's fine, but what does the vicarious victory of finally seeing a black president office have anything to do with this policy and how it restricts your your ability to bank overseas right but again that goes back to your point in education right because the only reason that you were able to see through the lens of that is because you have a mind for that like right. you are already on the global citizen but, train but it speaks to the core of what i'm talking about and it we does this, right? it does which is once again, and we'll even talk about Obama, because I think Obama is a great example in a positive way, right? We allowed the positivity of his race to still be distracted from the detriment of the financial ramifications to our people. Do you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, but I also believe that his policy... Y'all, I'm no politician. I do not pay attention to politics. I like Obama because he was cool to me. (laughs) Um, Don't be on here commenting on political stuff because I have no idea about that stuff. He was just cute, cool, and he had some rhythm. But what does that have to do with that? Nothing. It has nothing nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that at all. But I want to get back to that because, again, what I'm saying is 
the policies of any political figure. Mm -hmm. They don't matter because we as a culture are so uneducated about our finances and how our finances are affected by policy. That's right. That it doesn't matter who's in office because we are in the box and being sort of like managed Mm -hmm. because they know we don't know. Right. Because one of the things I've been saying, I don't know anything about politics, but one of the things that I've said since I've been able to vote is we don't spend enough time and energy on education. Mm -hmm. And if we did, those of us who aren't getting it because we can't afford it or whatever the case may be, would it be more like you where they are inquisitive about certain areas that have never made sense to them and they want to fix it. Mm -hmm. But so often there is not that chance and it takes someone like you with a very passionate and non, you know, unapologetic way of looking at it and niching it down that it takes someone like you to flip the coin on its head and make people think. And that's what I think we economists does and I love about it. Well, that's because that's one of the mottos and one of the core values in the team. You cannot distract us with the social construct of race. Right. So very quickly, you know, and and we've had this with members in our community Well, they'll talk about this and we're like, cool, but bring it back to a financial conversation because we operate off of the premise that racism is an economic construct. So we need to have an economic conversation. You said something about early on. You talked about this early today Mm because I think it speaks to this point. Mm -hmm. How did like. It's all economic. You were it talking always, about yeah. like from the beginning. It's always Talk been. to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's always been. Um, so I am a total nerd, okay? And like Sunday reading for me is... Oh, Lord. <laughs> Sunday reading for me is like the Federal Reserve, oh, you know what I mean? Gosh. Or the Congressional budgets, the Budget Office's oh, reports, right? Goodness. Or the Treasury reports, right? And that is one of the things that I'm I... watching Greenleaf re- reruns. <laughs> She's looking at the reserve. <laughs> but, um, you know, but that is has always been the basis of anything. And then, like I said, even if you want to go back to slavery, the basis... I'm going to leave religion alone for the time being, but, you know, we even talk about how religion was used as a pacifier for some bad actors who basically... They do that now. Right, but they use it as a pacifier. They used it as a pacifier because it was always about economics and it was always about exploitation, but they, they wrote laws into place because they were supposedly spreading the good word of Christianity, right? But if you if you always take a look at it it is always about economics right and how can i make in this particular system i'm not saying in every system right because we've also written articles about alternative currencies which are actually based in equality and equity but i'm talking about this specific system it has always been about what way can i go ahead and extract and exploit the most the most so that I for the least right I can put out the lease I can extract and exploit the most and line my pockets the most right so if you have a conversation if you first go back and even as inflammatory and disgusting and heart-wrenching these our history is if you always go back to the base of it it is economics right when even when we talk about King right when we talk about Dr. King you it's funny when you look at how history has been rewritten we always highlight the my children will be you know judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin right but you know later on in the podcast I'm going to actually read the other part of his speech that talks about how America has historically always written blacks bad checks, insufficient funds, right? He was always talking about economic redress. Mm -hmm. King was always saying there will be no such thing as racial equality if we first do not adjust economic integration. And a lot of people thought that integration was in the The context context. of social. No, no, no. And King was fighting for economic integration and then he was assassinated, Mm -hmm. right? So 
at the end of the day, you know, you can listen to people with their rhetoric and, you know, and they, they spew their stuff that sounds like stuff out of the Moynihan report and all of this nonsense. But at the end of the day, the conversation will always be economics. And even King said that. He said, first and foremost, every individual has to operate within their society as an economic entity. King said that. He got that. First and foremost, before you talk about giving me respect and my and you know, put some respect but, on my name and all that, even stuff. with Dr. King, it was the it was the charismatic, um, it was the way he presented the speech. It was the passion he had for his people. It was the it was the cause he was fighting for. And I think people get wrapped up in that, and like you, you, we missed that whole message. Right, and they got they got wrapped up in the charisma, but then history also deflected from the true issue. So what I'm trying to explain to us is, to, to my audience, is the Federal Reserve, I mean, any economic analyst, any social scientist, have let us know, Blacks, you are all on a ticking time clock. By 2053, there will be no wealth. None. That's scary. That is 30 years, right? So by the time your grandchildren come along, right, they are expected to have no wealth whatsoever. So, but they didn't say that that was global wealth. They said that was the condition, that was the, traje the trajectory of the black American. And so as I, you know, I study black finance in America, and if I always understand that race has always been the proxy and race has always been, been central to the American economy, then why wouldn't I just take my economy outside of America? Because that's not reflective of how the rest of the world operates. And that's one of the things that I challenge my readers and listeners and prospective listeners and readers to do. I love it. I mean, see what I mean? Unapologetically so. <laughs> but I mean, so passionate and it makes sense. And you just, it's, mm, wow, that's a good point. I need to think on that a little bit more. I want to move on because I don't have a lot more time on the podcast. Um, we've been talking for like 42 minutes. I know that. <laughs> And I'm just on question two. You need to answer question two. We just kept going. Okay. All right. So this is kind of a point that I think she was trying to get to, and I'm going to read this to you because I did a little bit of research on my own. Um, and though the content is, um, uh, it's not as up to date. I think it was like 2014, I think was the, mm -hmm. was the uh, article date. But anyway, it says African-Americans have made significant social and economic progress since the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. However, the black community continues to face enormous um, challenges. <laughs> by, many, um, by many of the most important measures of economic well-being, black Americans lag far behind the majority of white population. It says now, um, I want you to know that on this podcast, it's about um, personal branding, obviously, because that's why you're here, personal style. Mm -hmm. And I've already given you my definition. It's the process by which individuals and entrepreneurs differentiate themselves and stand out from the crowd. And they do this by identifying and articulating their, their unique value proposition and then leveraging it across platforms with a consistent message and image to achieve, achieve a specific goal. So I want to know from you what your opinion is about... Um, some of the biggest challenges facing black entrepreneurs in America that would deem our unique value proposition insufficient when it comes to our quest to uh, creating wealth for ourselves or uh, success in America? Well, I believe one of our biggest challenges is that we, <clears throat> we refuse to acknowledge how our, how our race has affected our capital, okay? And capital is absolutely required for you to run a business. Amen. <laughs> right? And it's absolutely required for you to expand a business. And I think that as we have, um, as we have advancements in technology, right? And technology allow us to um, 
reach people that we haven't been able to reach before. And to be honest with you, technology allows us to even appear larger or even more structured or organized than what we actually are. I believe that like any good business person would do, you would diversify your risk, right? And um, you know, like I said, just even if you look at history, right? And you look at the fact that our own government basically underwrote their risks, right? Mm -hmm. um, based off of our race, we have to go ahead and we have to understand, <laughs> we have to understand how that has a very real effect on the capital that we can use to fuel our businesses and the um, ability to go ahead and expand our business. The other thing, like I said, is that we also need to figure out what it looks like to be a global citizen because 70% of, of commerce happens outside of the US, right? So when people say think large, right? And they're like, oh, these big dreams. Okay, that's fine. But think large means that you got to think outside of your neighborhood. Yeah, think large means thinks outside of the United States. And you got to think outside of your borders. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I was going to say, and this is a real quick educational level, is um, I want us to start thinking a little bit more like business people in terms of understanding like ratios right and stop being so emotional right so one of the things that i um was talking about was that if americans actually knew how to analyze the stability of something as simple as even their own banks that if they were not thinking from an emotional standpoint, right? Well, this is my country and this is where, right. right? And we have a lot of that rhetoric of patriotism and whatnot. And hey, if you're a patriot, congratulations, you know, more power to you. But once again, what does that patriotic narrative have anything to do with poor financial ratios right. at the end of the day, right? So I, I wrote some notes, for example, like if most Americans actually even knew how to analyze, um, the banking stability, like the, the, the bank's liquidity in the country, they would start pulling their money and they would start to put it in different um, um, banking systems as they should because they're far more stable than ours. A quick litmus really quickly, excuse me, a, a quick litmus is when you are even doing something, um, you're supposed to do your due diligence. As a business owner, you're supposed to do your due diligence, right? And one of the most important partners in your business is your bank. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So you're supposed to do your due diligence on your bank, mm -hmm. right? Don't mm -hmm. assume just because they Don't have... Don't just put it in the bank that's close to your house. Exactly, right? So one of the first things that you need to do is when you're doing kind of your, your due diligence on this, first of all, you need to take a look at the overall financial solvency of the country that the bank is in, right? So what is the country's net assets to its GDP ratio, right? These are the kind of things that we teach you and we economists. Number two, what's the secondary liquidity ratio, right, of that bank? So in the event that like we were to ever experience a financial crisis or, you know, a global crisis like we did in 2008, this, the, the secondary liquidity ratio tells you the bank's ability to withstand a bank run. Mm -hmm. So if everybody wants to come in and pull their money mm -hmm. out because they're getting scared, the liquidity ratio is going to tell you the bank's ability to do that first of all America doesn't meet that 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 par America doesn't meet that ratio the next thing that you want to take a look at is the bank's loan to deposit ratio right America doesn't reach that you can throughout history whether you look at like Cyprus or Cypriot banking history or Greece or whatnot if you look at these ratios, right, you can see when things are starting to mm -hmm. collapse and that's how smart money begins to move mm -hmm. and they become essentially unscathed and they can continue to move forward, right? You want to take a look at the non-performing loan ratio with the bank. You want to take a look at what's called the CET1 equity to asset ratio, right? So this means that if the bank's ratio or assets were to go ahead and lose a, spe um, a specific percentage of value, it would become insolvent, right? So for example, American banks only have a 5% um, ratio, right? CET1 ratio. That means that if the assets that the bank held lost its value by 5%, the bank would be insolvent. Mm -hmm. 
wow. versus Hong Kong or Singapore, where they have a 20% ratio, right? Wow. So that's what I'm saying. When, I, when we're talking about what we need to do to become more um, aware, first aware of all. but when stronger business people, we have to take a look at the numbers. We have to take a look at the ratios. We have to take a look and do due diligence and see, number one, am I being treated the best in the places that I'm doing business? Number two, is my money being treated the best? Is my potential for labor and expansion and access to resources the most available? You have to put all of those things through a litmus and then you move accordingly so that you can go ahead and you can move forward with building um, businesses that you can pass on to your children. Y'all tired? Because <laughs> I'm tired. This girl done put it down so hard. I can't. I don't have nothing. I can't. Ain't nothing else. I don't even have time for anything else. So we will definitely have to have you back on the show. I'm going to leave it at that because she gave us two lists. My next question was to ask her what is the most important information black business owners need. And she answered that plus. <laughs> so I don't even have to move forward. We learned about the slave trade. We learned about the litmus test. We learned about college overseas. We know what Hong Kong's ratios are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just feel like again and that wasn't even an article so y'all see what I'm saying like the article is so robust this is the period where you put the book down and you gotta go chew on what she said before you can move on to the next paragraph so I'm gonna have you back on the show so that we can go awesome. to the next paragraph <laughs> of this chapter of this article but I want to let you know I really appreciate you being on the show with me here on PBN Style. I'm so excited about this episode. I don't know what to do. I just, I'm just going to be sharing it everywhere because I think it's one of those where people are going to have to listen to it over and over again, especially those in our black community. And I, I think it's going to be a really good lesson. It has been for me because I am guilty of like just going to the bank down the street because I don't want to drive all over town just to go put my money in, but you don't think about what happens to that money when it goes in. Is mm -hmm. it going to be there when you need to get it out? Mm -hmm. Are these people going to treat me well? Are they going to respect are the dollars that I'm bringing? And are they even reinvesting it back into the communities that I care about? Right. right. So these are things that we will have to talk about in the next chapter, <laughs> in the next paragraph. It's not even a chapter. This is just a paragraph of a story. <laughs> Thank you again for being here, guys. I appreciate you for listening to this episode of PBN Style. Remember, if you are not aware of who you are and how you want to do business and what it is you need, that is what personal branding is all about. I call it the disease of non-personal branditis. That's what it's <laughs> called. And I have got the beginning of your cure. It's called my Highway 8 road to inner influencer it is a free mini video series that i have in your inbox and it provides some of those very important questions that you'll need the answer to to do any of the things that takia was just talking about here on the show so make sure you grab that remember you can always go to itunes or spotify to subscribe to pb and style there is where i'd love for you to go and leave a review for this podcast and takia and i have a question for you we want to know from you what are you going to do now that you have this information? How are you going to use it? Leave that in the comments over on my website where you'll find the notes for this particular show, andreapatrick.com forward slash podcast. Leave a comment and tell us, what are you planning to do now that you know and you are responsible? Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to join Andrea over on our website where all the deliciousness really happens at andreapatrick.com. You can also find her on Facebook at AF Patrick Consult, Twitter at Andrea F. Patrick, LinkedIn at AF Patrick, and Instagram at AF Patrick. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.